0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Hope your weekend is going well. I want to talk about a number of topics today in my opening rant, and then we'll get to calls. Uh, the first comes from something I just read in the Wall Street Journal uh, about the Ukraine proxy war, which is right now seeing a new round of Russian airstrikes, deadly airstrikes, and uh, in preparation for what is rumored to be a new Russian offensive. Uh, they've already taken um, at least one key town. It looks like, and they're, it looks like they're prepared to take more. Not that's that that battlefield aspect is not my area of expertise, so not much I can say about it. But the point is that right now, Ukrainian civilians are facing intensified suffering under Russian bombardment. Um, just as, of course. Ukrainians on the other side of the front lines and Donbass have been facing bombings from Ukraine. But the point I've been trying to make for a few weeks now in my recent articles on Substack is that there's an awareness in Washington that Ukraine cannot win the war and that it it certainly cannot achieve its stated objectives such as retaking Crimea. Uh, But yet, simultaneously, the U.S. continues to say that Ukraine is fighting, it's on the front lines of the struggle for civilization. It's protecting us all from this new Hitler. And we have to do all we can to defend it. But yet at the same time, they're still denying Ukraine the weapons that it says it needs. So for example, battle tanks and fighter jets and longer range weapons. So on the one hand, you're saying that Ukraine is fighting this existential, this existential war and needs to win, but yet simultaneously, You're not giving Ukraine the weapons it says it needs. And you're privately admitting that you don't think Ukraine can win. So given all that, under what conditions would you want to prolong the war, to keep it going? Um, Why would you say we need to win this war, but also Ukraine can't win it, and then also not give Ukraine the weapons that it says it needs? Well, the answer is obvious. It's because your war aim is not to defend Ukraine. It's to weaken Russia. So the only way in which all this makes sense Continuing to fuel this war that you know Ukraine can't win and you're making, you're ensuring that by not giving Ukraine the weapons it says it needs. Uh, that only serves the goal of prolonging it so that you can bleed Russia more, which is what many Western architects have said is the goal of the war. That's what I'm, that's what I've been trying to point out recently. Here's, here's a new voice from the West to, to, I think corroborate this. His name is retired Air Marshal Edward Stringer. He's the former head of operations at the British defense staff. And this is what he told the Wall Street Journal. He says, by continuing to drip feed just enough for Ukraine to not, not to lose, by continuing to drip feed just enough for Ukraine not to lose, what the West is doing is just prolonging the war. That's exactly right. Um, I agree with him. Now, he's saying that as an argument for actually sending more weapons. For sending the weapons that NATO hasn't sent yet, for example, fighter jets and battle tanks, Um, I think though that's not only the wrong proposal because that would just lead to a massive escalation, and as some people fear, could lead to direct confrontation between NATO and Russia. um, That to me, in there, that there's an admission that they exactly as he says, NATO is just prolonging the war by basically using a drip feed. That's his term, drip feed. So you're just giving Ukraine enough to keep this war going and in his words, not to lose and in short, to prolong the war. So I just found that quote interesting because he's acknowledging what I think is obvious but is not admitted very vocally that the US is not interested in defending Ukraine, not even interested in seeing it win because it no, it can't. It just inter- It's just interested in prolonging the war. So that's that. Um, turning to domestic issues, I have to find this whole thing with Biden and classified documents pretty funny. Uh, only because when Trump was accused of doing it, if you remember during the raid on Mar-a-Lago in the summertime, this was presented as the biggest deal. The walls were finally closing in. I'm pretty sure we did a call-in about this, making fun of the upset and the, and the, and the hoopla that surrounded Trump's classified documents, uh, scandal. And now you hear Biden is, is admitting that he took classified documents too when he left office as vice president. And, um, just as I didn't really care about the Trump one, I equally don't care about the Biden one, but I just find it hilarious that it's not happening to Biden as well. And people are having to cope with it. So here is a sample of how some people in, Corporate media, defenders of the Democratic Party, no matter what, are handling Biden's new classified documents problem.
1: There's another key difference between the cases, though. In Biden's case, his attorneys reported the discovery and cooperated by turning them over immediately. That was not the case, of course, with Trump. So in the Mar-a-Lago case, that really does appear to be a much more complicated case. Of course, we're seeing a very big
2: difference in what the Biden White House is doing around this and what Trump has done.
1: Night
3: and day, you have the inadvertent, we don't even know if Biden had anything to do
4: with it. There are important distinctions between this and the swirl of controversy around
5: Donald Trump and the documents at Mar-a-Lago. What you see in that documents case is a textbook example of the best possible way of
4: handling the discovery of government documents after leaving office that should have been returned before leaving office. What you see is the exact opposite
5: of Donald Trump's behavior.
0: Well, it's not the exact opposite of Donald Trump's behavior, because if it was the exact opposite, then Biden wouldn't be being accused of taking with him classified documents. And um, again, I don't really care about the issue. I think documents are overclassified and I'd love to see documents that are classified being released to the public. But I just find it, again, really funny that people who are desperate to um, obsess about Trump while never focusing on the his worst dangers, uh, the, the worst policies of his administration are now facing, again, the fact that Biden is accused of doing the same. So I just find that very funny. And um, the Biden's excuses, like, I, you know, I keep my, my garage is locked and uh, it's in a safe place. I mean, that sounds like what Trump was saying about Mar-a-Lago. And um, I also remember hearing Trump defenders, maybe even Trump himself, saying that, you know, some of these documents could have been planted on him. Well, here is Hank Johnson, a member of Congress from the Democratic Party, saying the same thing about Biden. He suspects that maybe some of these documents were planted.
4: My
6: response to it all is that alleged classified documents showing up allegedly in the possession of, uh, of, uh, Joseph Biden. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so much that needs to be, um, investigated. And, um, and that's, that's what I call for is for everything to be investigated. But I'm suspicious of the timing of it. I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that Things can be planted on people, P- places and things can be planted, um, or things things can be planted in places uh, and then discovered conveniently. That may be what has occurred here. I'm not ruling that out, but I don't, I'm, I'm open in terms of the investigation it needs to be investigated.
0: So, I mean, what's funny about that is these documents were reported by the Biden team. So did someone, did some member of Biden's staff plant documents on him? Um, that's pretty far-fetched. And, uh, you know, what's also interesting is that the, the house that where some of these documents were apparently discovered was owned by Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden had access. then presumably Hunter Biden would have had access to the area where they were kept. And given Hunter Biden's legal woes, that, this raises, a, I think, a, a new problem for Biden, or a potential problem for Biden, at least. And it's just funny. <laughs> I just find it very funny. Um, another thing that's interesting is this apparently was reported to the Justice Department uh on November 4th, which is a few days before the midterm elections. And it was kept under wraps for nearly two months after that, which I find interesting. I doubt with Trump they would have done the same, but who knows? Uh, and what's also funny is now we have a special counsel. So... It seems we're always having special counsels these days and now Biden gets one too. And uh, that's all I gotta say on that. I just find it very funny. And if anybody else wants to weigh in, please feel free. And finally, um, the other issue I wanna talk about is, so it's taken six years, but finally some people in the corporate media are coming around to the fact that Russiagate was a scam and all the hype about Russian bots brainwashing millions of Americans was a joke. And there was just a new headline in the Washington Post this week, and it said, Russian trolls had on Twitter had little influence on 2016 voters. Wow, you don't say. Um, and what's funny about that headline is that's actually even it's, – it, it's even watering down what the story is reporting because the story is, then says Russian influence operations on Twitter in 2016 – had uh, reached relatively few users, most of whom were highly partisan Republicans, and and the Russian accounts had no measurable impact in changing minds or influencing voter behavior, according to a study. So the headline says they had little influence. The article says they had no measurable impact in changing minds or influencing voter behavior. So that headline there is the Post not trying to come to grips with The contents of the article to you know and basically try to mitigate the impact of acknowledging that yet again another RussiaGate myth is being exploded and of course the article goes on to do more damage control by saying that well this study only looked at Twitter it didn't look at Facebook and uh, where uh, Russia reached more than 126 million people and as I pointed out you know years ago if you look at the the sources for all these claims they are just massive exaggerations what Facebook actually said is that our estimate is that possibly up to 126 million people on Facebook might have been exposed to one piece of Russian content over a two-year period, okay? That's what Facebook said. But if you read the headlines, that's, that's you know, for example, there were headlines such as this from 2017 in the New York Times, Russian influence reached 126 million through Facebook alone. So again, what there is here is constant spin an exaggeration to fearmonger about the power of russian bots and the funniest thing about all of this is not the distortion of the data but just the fact that to make this story seem credible they have to entirely ignore the content of what these russian bots and memes were putting out which is juvenile clickbait that was barely related to the election and that's been spun somehow into this giant conspiracy theory that russia through the power of its uh sophisticated brainwashing memes and trolls was able to convince Americans not to vote for Hillary Clinton. And we just got new evidence from the Twitter files put up by Matt Taibbi on how hard uh, Democrats and Congress and officials in the U.S. Intelligence Committee pressured Twitter to validate it. So Twitter did a review of all this and found nothing, just as Facebook did. Facebook did a review and basically concluded that all these Russian accounts were not the government uh, of Russia, but they were just clickbait and they all got heavy pressure from people like Mark Warner and US intelligence officials to come up with something that could meet the narrative to to basically validate this panic about Russian bots and that's what happened and, and Matt Tavey newly exposed that and uh Max Blumenthal and I spoke to him on Friday over at the Gray Zone which if you if you're interested in the topic I recommend it was a good discussion so anyway it's just um Even when the US media has to admit some approximation of the truth, they still spin it because Russiagate is so important to their identity and to their narrative. And they just cannot admit that it was a giant scam, but they're getting there, I guess. Uh, and this took what six years (laughs) and uh, who knows how long it will take for the next one. Um, maybe one day they'll finally report the admission of CrowdStrike that they have no evidence that Russia stole the DNC emails. That's still. A very damning admission has never been reported in U.S. establishment media. I think I'm one of the few people to report it. And the furthest I got was in real clear politics. But everywhere else, no, nothing. Fox News maybe talked about it, but that's it. All right, let's take calls. Great to see so many people here. And uh, Samurai, you are first.
7: Hello. Heather. Hey, uh, sorry about my voice. I got COVID, unfortunately. But uh, I wanted to ask you, um, so the first thing you talked about was how, um, you know, the Ukraine war has become a proxy fight to just weaken Russia at the expense of the Ukrainians. Um, I totally agree with that. Um, I myself am Syrian, and I see a lot of parallels with what is happening in Ukraine with what has happened in Syria, where, you know... All these hegemonic powers, um, first and foremost, the U.S. have really extracted what they wanted um, at the expense of the people of the country, the infrastructure, the, the lives um, in Syria. Um, and the U.S. played, I think, one of the most cynical roles um, in terms of how it sort of picked and chose and cherry picked, honestly, uh, who it supported and who it didn't support, uh, when it supported them. Um, I know you've done some reporting about some of the groups it supported that had like um, uh, like like the jihadist groups that it supported. But it it also supported like the Kurds in the northeast who now hold a third of the country um, as a sort of proxy U.S. force. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, when we think about situations like this um, and the sort of role that the U.S. plays, not just in Ukraine, but around the world in these sorts of conflicts, um where the goal is not doesn't have anything to do with with the people that the US claims to, you know, care about the lives. Um, what's the way forward? Because I have always thought that, you know, maybe somebody, you know, somebody would come along, a president, someone in control of foreign policy, who could actually get a negotiated settlement where all these foreign actors would leave Syria. Um and some sort of reunification process and peace settlement could come about um, because the U.S. currently controls about a third of the country and the vast majority of its oil reserves and half of its wheat supply. I mean, we have uh, there, there's considerable leverage because of what we've done, um, but I, but that's never come to fruition. That sort of um, push for peace, um, which I'm not surprised by, but I'm, I'm just curious how how do you think that kind of we in the West can position ourselves to actually negotiate for um, peace, because I think that the the status quo just means that more Ukrainians, more Syrians, more everywhere where we
0: have a, a foothold, uh, those, those peoples are just going to keep suffering. Well, there is talks going on right now between Syria, Russia and Turkey. And, um, you know, Turkey, as you know, sided with the U.S. And Turkey let tens of thousands of jihadists, you know, cross its borders to go over and uh, uh, fight the Syrian government and, you know, Turkish intelligence played, I think a very key role in the fake chemical weapons allegations against the Syrian government. Um, There were stories of members of Al Qaeda uh, being caught inside Turkey with sarin and Seymour Hersh has reported that the U S intelligence knew that um, jihadist factions were getting chemical weapons material from elements inside Turkey. So, uh turkey has to shift its policy i think for a negotiated settlement to happen because you know they're they're very involved and of course they're it's complicated they're they're on the side of the u.s when it comes to idlib right because idlib is controlled by idlib is the only syrian uh, province controlled by the so called moderate rebels which in reality is al qaeda uh and and they're basically backed by turkey and they're also tacitly backed by the u.s of course the u.s helped Al-Qaeda capture Idlib. Um, and that's why James Jeffrey, a former tr- a Trump official, called Al-Qaeda an asset to the U.S. inside Syria. Uh, but then again, Turkey and the U.S. are on opposite sides when it comes to the Kurds. Turkey wants to wipe out the Kurds, make sure they have no, um, you know, stronghold inside of Syria. And uh, the U.S. is back in the Kurds right now, as you say. So I think what will probably happen is the U.S. will sell out the Kurds as they always do, uh, and I don't know enough about Turkey to say what Turkey is going to do. But um, I mean, for example, like what do you do about Idlib? It's you know th- that is where n- not only Al Qaeda but all the other um, sectarian death squads went after they lost territory inside Syria. I mean, under the ce- under the under the uh, ceasefires brokered by Russia there was a deal made that, you know, if you lay down your arms, you can take get on a green bus and go to Idlib. So well, what do you do about that now? It's controlled by um, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, which is basically al-Qaeda with a new name. Um, and uh, what do you do about that? As uh, Brett McGurk called it, he said that Idlib is the al-Qaeda's largest safe haven since 9-11. In fact, here, I'll play that clip for people who haven't heard it. This is him speaking a few years ago, and he's now a senior official under Biden. But here is him talking about Idlib.
2: Thanks, and here at MEI about the very uh,
4: important work about what's happening on the ground. But it is so much more complex. In Idlib province, um, look, Idlib province is the largest al-Qaeda
2: safe haven since
0: 9-11. So there it is. What do you do about that? Um, I don't know. And um, certainly... Why is the U.S. occupying Syria? I mean, there's no negotiations needed there. They should just leave. They, they have no right to be there. They weren't invited. And they're there to steal Syria's oil and to give, you know, as uh, Dana Struhl explained, who's now senior official under Biden, uh, they're there to give the U.S. leverage over Syria's future. That if you deny Syria its own fuel and its wheat, you can influence its, its political outcome. But what business does the U.S. have to do that? So um, I think the U.S.'s obligation is basically to leave. Um, and probably that will entail selling out the Kurds, but you know, it's just when you have so much interference in in a country like this, uh, it gets messy. And the, um, I think the U S has been able to stay under the radar because no U S soldiers have died yet. At least that we know, at least recently, some U S soldiers have died, uh, but not recently, but if that were to start happening, that that might change the U S calculus. So anyway, look, it's a long winded way of answering your question i'm sorry i just i don't know what's going to happen but the current status quo is just not sustainable
7: yeah thank you so much i i saw this as sort of like a a preview of, of what's happening in ukraine um because when the russians came in in this area and 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 sort of the, their their goal was to um maintain uh their base at Tartus, but then they opened a big air base in latakia but um you know The U.S., you know, wanted to, I think, keep um, at least some portion of the Russian military um, preoccupied in Syria. Um,
0: Absolutely. I think think that's a prelude for what we're seeing now at a much different scale. Absolutely. Um, I believe it was James Jeffrey, and I'm going to find it right now. Uh, That same official who I mentioned who called al-Qaeda an asset. Um, Here it is. Listen to this. This is him in May 2020. Talking about what his job is in Syria. Okay, he's talking about Syria, not Ukraine.
4: This isn't Afghanistan. This isn't Vietnam. This isn't uh, uh, a quagmire. Uh, my job is to make it a quagmire for the Russians.
0: <laughs> I'll play one more time. Uh,
4: a quagmire. Uh, my job is to make it a quagmire for the Russians.
0: It's pretty clear cut. So here is, so, as he says. Here, so that's what he says. So my job is to make Syria a quagmire for the Russians, and. I do think that's what the um, U.S. goal was. Well, it's part of the U.S. goal in recent years for Syria. And they're mad at Russia because Russia intervened on the uh, side of the Syrian government against the U.S.-backed rebels. So the U.S. and its allies start arming the sectarian death squads in in 2011. uh, And, you know, they make some gains. And finally, Assad asked for Russian intervention. And as John Kerry explained... He said the Russians came in because we were watching, the U.S. was watching as ISIS was threatening Damascus, and we thought we could basically use that to put pressure on Assad to negotiate his way out of power. So Kerry was saying that effectively that the U.S. was using ISIS's leverage to achieve regime change in Damascus, that if the U.S. let ISIS advance, that would put enough pressure on Assad for him to flee and let a U.S.-backed government come in. Uh, but then Kerry says, but then that's why Russia came in, because they didn't want to risk an ISIS government. So uh, and so because of that, there are people in the U.S. who are bitter towards Russia. And so they want to now make it a quagmire. And, you know, when you look back at Russia Gate and um, and then the Ukraine proxy war, I have to wonder how much of that was influenced by Syria, where there was so much bitterness in Washington at the Russians for messing with their plans in Syria, for interrupting their regime change operation there. That's speculation, but um, I think that's partly driven by it because you know Russia Gate, this attempt to criminalize diplomacy with Russia, uh, this attempt to demonize Russia, uh, that comes from a place of hostility. And I think the fact that Russia foiled U.S. designs in Syria—I don't know—I wouldn't be surprised if that played a part in it. Well, and and look what happened, by the way. Remember when Obama and Russia made a deal finally in 2016 to go after uh, ISIS together? Uh, then you had that incident shortly afterwards, where the, Pentagon, the U.S. accidentally bombed. It said it, it says it says it accidentally bombed a whole bunch of Syrian soldiers and killed them, and that killed that deal cooperation deal between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, and the idea that this was an accident seemed pretty far fetched. I think it was deliberate in a bid to destroy any kind of cooperation between the U.S. and Russia.
7: Yeah, and one one last thing I'll say is, um, you know, I, I, have, I have family actually in the only city that really wasn't uh, affected by the war in, in terms of, you know, having wide scale destruction. Um, and that's Latakia on the west coast of the country, northwest coast. Um, yeah. And even in the sort of considered the, the like the Alawite stronghold of the, of the government, um, which it is, that province and that city, um, you know, they get like maximum half an hour of power a day. Yeah. Um. Like at max, and it comes yeah. between like midnight and one a- one a.m. So like, you know, uh, go figure. Um. And yeah. uh, you know, the food situation is dire. Um. There is no fuel. Um. Not even like heating oil. Um. You know, people are desperate, and it's a direct result of Western sanction and also Western control of the you know wheat producing and um oil producing regions in the east. Um. But I gotta say, I mean, not that. Withstanding, um, the regime itself is not like a popular um, figure, um, in the country and like among its people, um, because, you know, I I think the West has played, um, an extremely cynical role, but the regime has not been, um, you know, a kindred force to many millions of people. Um, I I think like specifically what I, when I've watched your coverage, um, you know, something I've noticed is that, um, you know, you don't, often discuss barrel bombing but like that was a tactic that was used oftentimes against civilian areas um that were sort of farther away from front lines um and it was a fear tactic i mean it was a sort of all-out war so people say it's justified but um those that that was largely responsible for a lot of destruction of um like civilian infrastructure early on in the war um and people remember that so i think there's a lot of like animosity towards the west and western institutions that are sort of subjecting them to um, sanctions that just destroy their lives. Um, But there's not really a whole lot of love for um, a regime that, you know, um, continues to putter on and, uh, you know, hasn't really been able to do much to change the situation
0: on the ground. Well, you know, you raised two issues there. One is the uh, government's response to the sanctions in the current state and whether they're being effective in handling it. And the the second is their tactics during the war, when the war is going on. Uh, On the first point, uh, I've heard so much criticism like yours, which is that basically the government is not being transparent with the people that they're pretending as if everything is fine. When really, as you talked about in places like Watakia, only half an hour of power a day, um, and they're not really acknowledging the people suffering. Uh, I hear that again and again and again, and um, that it will understandably breed frustration. and obviously, the Syrian government has to address that um, because they—I mean—to pretend as if things are fine and and all that—it's—it's uh, just—I—I—I uh, I, I understand why people feel betrayed and, and very angry, and you—and we've seen protests recently against the government because of that. Um, I do want to say though that this is the this is the goal of U.S. sanctions. The goal is to turn the public, the people, against the government uh, by making them suffer. And my concern, because I don't live under the Syrian government, it's not my government. My concern is what my government does, which is denying Syrians of their own resources to make them suffer. So that's, that's my pr- primary concern. Uh, but I would never deny the fact that there's a lot of bitterness towards the government for how they've handled it. And in terms of the barrel bombs, um, I, it would be great if uh, Syria had more accurate weapons to fight the death squads that were unleashed against it during the war. Uh, but this is, you know, it's like, I'm not going to, like, I can't fault a country for defending itself in a war it didn't start. I don't think Syria started this war. Um, this was not a government just massacring a bunch of peaceful protesters. This was a government responding to the most well-armed insurgency in decades and one of the most expensive covert wars in history. Um, and uh, it'd be great. If the government didn't have such primitive weapons like you know Vietnam era weapons, but they don't I mean this is the rally that they have, and it was the choice of their enemies to bring this war to them. So I just can't fault them for uh, how they respond because like what other choice do they have? Um, are you not supposed to here? let me give an example. Uh, This is Ryan Evans. He is the head of War on the Rocks, which is a publication, you know, a lot of military people, very close to the U.S. military. This is what he said about the insurgency inside of Syria uh, a few months ago. This is in September 2022.
4: And the Free Syrian Army as well. Absolutely. The Free Syrian Army. It shouldn't be forgotten, as we often talk about the U.S. policy as non-intervention. But this was the Syrian opposition. The the armed Syrian opposition was the most well-supported insurgency probably in the last hundred years by Western, by by the United States mostly, but also
0: by Saudi Arabia and other countries as well. So you hear that? He says that the Syrian opposition was the most well-supported insurgency probably in the last hundred years. And that makes sense. Uh, We know from Edward Snowden that $1 out of every $15 in the CIA's budget was going to the Syria dirty war. Uh, U.S. officials bragged in the Washington Post that the the rebels armed by the U.S. killed over a hundred thousand Syrian soldiers. So this was a war, uh, and it was a war Syria didn't start, and they were fighting it inside their own borders. And so, yeah, of course they committed atrocities and war crimes in the process, um, but they didn't start the war. And they were fighting with the weapons that they had, which are, you know, compared to their enemies, um, with the exception of their of their air power, um, pretty primitive. And uh, so I fought the people who started the war, not the government that responded to it. That's That's how I see it.
7: Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Um, I think uh, like among among Syrians in particular, the what started the war, um, you know, it, it's interesting because in that northwest province, Latakia and Benias, um, it's historically seen as the government sort of stronghold. But after the initial protests in Daraa in the south um, around the killing of that uh, high school age kid, the torture and killing, I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, uh, the, there were protests in Banyas and Tortous, um, which was very shocking to most people, um, but you know, I think before before it turned into an armed conflict, and I think before any sort of Western or um Saudi, Qatar involvement, um, there there really was a desire for um reform, not not for of course really, there was of course, Listen, of course, so there that's was. that's I think it's it, it was cynically hijacked by actors. Um, both in the West, both yeah, Buffalo, Saudi, I think Iran, Hezbollah, like everyone, just cynically, you know, wanted to take a piece of the pie, and that's what I'm saying
0: like the people will end up sort of holding the bag at the end of the day. I, I agree. With, listen, uh, if you read every, if you read everything I've written on the topic, uh, I wrote a long I wrote a long article last year called "Al Qaeda Is on Our Side" about, and it's it, it's the most thorough thing I've done on the Syria dirty war, and I talk about how, yes, of course, there were legitimate protests for reform and they got hijacked, but what I'm saying though. It's from the start. It wasn't just all entirely peaceful. Yes, of course you had people going out, um, you know, against corruption, against cronyism, calling for better you know, all those things. But you also had a violent element from the start, including in, in Dara, uh, where police forces were killed and in places like Jaysh al Shagur where you had a massacre of or of I think over a hundred U.S. Uh, Syrian government forces that was initially blamed on the Syrian government, which was, it was false. That was that was actually, so from the start, you had a violent element to this. And that's the part that uh, I think the U.S. and its allies supported from the start. And it, of course they were protesting against the government, but did people want to destroy their country? Um, no. Uh, and bring in people like Al-Qaeda and ISIS as their new leaders? No. Uh, and that's what I find shameful here. But of course, I would never deny that there was legit grievances against the government and there were protests out there for reforms. That's obvious. But by the way, also, I mean, you mentioned Latakia not facing any uh, any violence during the war. I mean, I guess the city, yes, but in the mountains of Latakia, there were massacres.
7: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, from Gusset yeah, to and Those are the places. And, I used to go to those villages as a child, actually, um, where you're talking about that area. Yeah. And that became a huge fighting ground. Um, and I want to say that's where one of the power generation stations for the city was and was destroyed. But I'm sure yes, um, of course.
0: and and that's where that's where the so-called free Syrian army, the moderate rebels that u s was supporting, they were fighting alongside ISIS and al-Qaeda. They took part in the ethnic cleansing operations there. And uh, the u s. knew that and continued to support them. And that to me is, you know again, that's my top concern here is not how the Syrian government responded, but what, what the u s. and its allies did. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. And that's an example of how Syria just, you can, there's so much to say about it and conversations can go for a long time. So, um, you know, there's just a lot to say. It's such a important issue. Okay. Let's keep it moving. Uh,
8: Next caller.
0: Okay, if you can hear me, my app is frozen. I'm going to try to fix this. Now, hopefully you, you all can hear me. Go ahead.
3: Can you hear me? Yes. Well, but I I one question about the, uh, one question related to Russia again. And um, I hope um, this time you give me an honest answer, Mr. Mate. Well, I'm still looking forward to the book that's supposed to come out sometime this year. And, um, well, I'm not really, but I don't really wish to ask you about the contents of your articles because I've done, because you've done a really great job. Do you uh, still remember Miss Amy Goodman, Mr. Martin?
0: <laughs> do I still, yes, I do remember Amy Goodman. Yes, I, I worked for her for 10 years. What's your what question? Do you
3: happened, what do you think happened to that feminist bitch, Mr. All right, Okay, Barton?
0: all right, all right. Uh, yeah, sorry. We don't have that kind of talk here. Um, okay, let's go to the next caller. We, uh, we don't call people names here. Hey, I mean,
6: good so, uh, time yeah. of your day for everyone. It's Hello. evening here in Moscow. Hi, can you hear me okay? I hope it doesn't sound like I'm uh, in a bathroom or in a giant hall or something. <clears throat> so uh, I actually have a photograph of myself with Amy Goodman back from uh, like 2012, 13-ish in Chicago. Anyway, I uh, wanted to weigh in on each of the topics uh discussed I really enjoyed the uh, Syria discussion I uh, it was a good refresher overall of uh, kind of the main issues going on there so that was really uh, instant insightful and useful to listen to about Syria I just wanted to weigh in about Syria Turkey uh, Russia America uh, uh, Turkey's been uh, cooperating with Russia it hasn't blacklisted Russia and uh, so we had this wave of terror terrorist attacks in uh, in Turkey Uh, I wonder if that's a strictly coincidence or not. Uh, But uh, about Russiagate, Russiagate was the reason I left uh, the United States. I don't know how you have the uh, patience to stomach and go through and uh, organize uh, everything related to Russiagate, Mr. (laughs) Matej. But uh, I I couldn't take it anymore. It was too much. This is too ridiculous. I talked to the people in Moscow about, you know, the notion of... uh, Russia influencing the presidential elections in the United States and uh, Trump uh, collaborating or colluding with Russia. And people just don't know how to react. The notion is so ridiculous that they can't even comment on it. Uh, Whereas in the United States, if you were to go up to a random stranger and, you know, ask him about our uh, uh, subversion of uh, democratically elected regimes all over the world, they would generally agree with you, at least. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't you know, start laughing at the notion like they would here. Uh, you, you talked about uh, Mr. Biden and uh, his problems with the uh, documents. I think uh, the deep state is basically just uh, I mean, they're in, in disagreement with, with each other, the elements of the deep state, and they're kind of at each other's thro- throats. That's fr- what I can glean from a distance. Uh, it also seems like they're continually uh, trolling us, just demonstrably, uh, just poking fun at us at, at, at how much we'll swallow up and how, how much of this ridiculousness we'll take. Uh, they are trolling us with, with you know, uh, accusing Biden uh, with the same crime that they accused Trump <clears throat> but generally, uh, I just see chaos in that country now. Uh, it's just increasing amounts of uh, road rage and uh, mass thefts. Like you got, you got these mass thefts going on. You got these homeless Hoover Hoovervilles all over the country. I mean, it, it's just increasing amounts of chaos. Everything that Mr. Chalmers Johnson, the late great uh, CIA and uh, uc berkeley professor talked about uh so uh, thoroughly in his uh, trilogy that he wrote before his
0: passing mr yeah, talmers yeah. johnson uh yeah so basically what i'm hearing from you is that you're a russiagate exile we hear about uh russian exiles you're a russiagate exile
6: that's a good one i'll uh, i think i'll remember that one i'm in russiagate exile could not take it anymore it was too much it's just yeah this is too ridiculous guys i'm out I had the option to leave, and I couldn't refuse. I I, I couldn't yeah. talk to people about this stuff. I mean, you you had you know normal people that get it, but overall the uh, environment was uh, too much. The 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 uh, Keith Olbermann and his rant about we are at war with Russia. You know, Russia subverted our uh, democracy and all this. I, I I saw where this was headed. This is. Some some kind of absurdity that I can't be a part of. I just couldn't take it from on the day to day. Okay. So did you have a question yeah.
0: or? or uh, of, yeah, I, I
6: wanted but, uh, to, you know, uh, just weigh in on all that. And Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine is uh, just uh, the, the plan is, exa- is exactly as you uh, stated, is to just turn that whole place into a wasteland. Mr. Garland Gullin- Nixon, I was listening to his podcast. He was talking about all the decapitated, well, not decapitated, but uh uh, people without legs and arms that are, will need to be taken care of. And, uh, uh, just all the, all the destruction that will need to be repaired. And that's, that's up to Russia to repair. And so the whole point is to just lead Russia and the whole world
0: as much as possible, as long as yeah. we okay. are the shining we'll beacon on the Hill. Thanks. for Yes. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Sterling. Go ahead.
1: Aaron, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey. Um, Yeah, so it's been such a crazy, crazy week. I feel like we've been pretty vindicated, um, like your previous caller. I mean, this has really been hell for a lot of us um, who try to stay really politically active. And in 19, what is it now? Um, I'm sorry, 2016. um, I said, I put everybody's putting out there. This is who I'm supporting um, in the next presidential race. And I put I'm supporting Bernie Sanders feel the burn. And it took off like wildfire as you know and if you go to sterling hartnett facebook and go back to sterling hartnett uh, member since 2014 um look at february and it'll say exactly that well i suddenly and i was like oh wow that's so cool and everybody's so involved well then i realized that i'm being like first i was harassed for a while and this is where i fell in love with the bernie bros because they were somehow everybody was watching and um if anybody tried to attack me, there would suddenly be like three Bernie bros on there, very um, intelligently describing or explaining where I was coming from and where they were coming from. And just, it was just such a really cool thing. So it all fell apart, it was kind of a nightmare, but at that point I'm being watched. And what I wanted to say to you was, at some point, somebody said, turned me on to you. And so I started following you for a while and we got into something just a just a little tweet back and forth maybe or something on Facebook. And then right after it, I got a message from Bell and Cat. And I know how you feel about Bell and Cat. And this was so weird, but I figured you had so many people. There was no way if I tried to reach out to you and tell you <clears throat> what was going on there. <clears throat> but I have wanted, since this happened, for Bell and Cat to be investigated because I think there. and of course, at that point, I realized even before they said you should follow us, um, following enough people and what goes on, you kind of figure out who are the, um, you know, just the cia operatives and um so basically i laughed i was like you've got to be kidding me but what was so creepy about it is people really know what's going on in your world and um i had a hard time with um, getting hacked i mean it was just a crazy crazy time but very exciting time and very sad but it really opened my eyes up to Um, If you're working at all for the people, it's going to be really crazy. So Russiagate, did I agree with your previous caller? Like if I could have left, I was getting so frustrated. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way. So and also with the man who said um, Samurai, who was talking about Syria, I absolutely think that Syria is a big part of it. And it's why you were so watching you go through all of your reporting on the OPCW was so heartbreaking because it was like, are you kidding me? I mean, how long are we just going to keep denying the truth? I mean, and, and, and on purposely so we can keep going to war. But really quickly also, um, aside from all of that, which has been cool, it's been a great journey with you. And I loved um, your interview with Matt. You guys did a great job. You usually do. Um, so I was watching Peter Hitchens. I get these weird things on YouTube at a Cambridge debate. And the debate was Western intervention is a force for good. And I'm like, oh, God, you've got to be kidding me. So he does this incredible against. Like, are you kidding me? Look at all of the crippling sanctions that so many people have died. Um, but what was so crazy about it at the end, they decided that, yes, it was. That there are still people that really believe that our interventions all over the world are forced for good. And I think that's just really, oh, uh, that's just the power of media, I guess. I don't know. But it was really, really interesting. But then he also did a talk. So I looked into him a little bit. Um, called the EU is a continuation of Germany from World War One, and it is fascinating. And he highly recommends a book called um, The Deluge by Adam Tush, I think it is. Um, he says he can't recommend it enough. It just completely talks about the Russia and Ukraine, how Ukraine was so important to Germany and has always been important. Um, I'm definitely of the school that um, Russia really pissed us off when they went into Syria. We've talked about this before. Um, and then that was it. They, yeah. they were pissed. And they also want Iran. And I think they just need Russia out of the way for so many reasons. But I haven't been able to pick up the News yet, but I wanted to mention it to people. Um, I'm not a Cambridge person. This is just stuff that comes up that's so fascinating. And um, as far as the um, ridiculousness of the stupid papers and the classified, I mean, I think the government's just going to play fast and loose with everything. Um, until we rise up and do something. And I'm convinced of that now. Nobody's ever held accountable. And the money, taxpayer money is just going to killing people and letting them be cannon fodder. And I was listening to um, McGregor say that now they have influenza over there. He doesn't think they have enough medical people that can get in there and help these soldiers at all. And it is really a nightmare.
0: Hmm. Sterling, thanks for the call.
1: Hello.
4: Hi there. All right. Um, well, I, uh, I I agree with certainly uh, everything uh, everything she just said, and uh, I remember so well, uh, you know, Putin telling us what he was doing in in Helsinki, the truth of it, which is basically that he was trolling us in retaliation for uh, you know the uh, U.S. government intervention in Russian elections, but. Uh, the real reason I wanted to call was uh, I unfortunately glitched on the, uh, uh, on the uh, useful idiots call-in, but uh, I may have been the only caller that actually wanted to call in and congratulate you on that uh, interview week before last because uh, that guy may have had a really thick accent, but, I mean, man, did he compile some really impressive data. And, <clears throat> like, I was just blown away. By uh, by I didn't even know that that CNN thing was a was a thing that you could just call and request all the raw footage from a day in time and use it for forensic examination. And they, they just send it to you. I mean, wow, that was really impressive. The, that smoking gun proof that the Maidon massacre was a false flag like smoking gun.
0: Yeah, it well, was. Yeah research and his name is Ivan Kachinowski. He's a professor at the University of Ottawa and we interviewed him on Idiots, uh last week. Um, yeah, he if you look at it, it's it's thorough and he shows that the Maidan massacre, which is a very key incident in the events that led to the 2014 coup in Ukraine, uh, was carried out by the uh, militants trying to overthrow the government, the pro-Maidan side. Um, and uh, his research has been uh pretty ignored in the mainstream, but no one's refuted it, and it's pretty overwhelming if you read it. And so that's what the interview touched on, and I, I agree. I thought it was a great interview, too.
4: Yeah, and I, you know, I it also, like, your, your first caller actually made me kind of, like, it really struck me just the parallels with the arc and the track and what's happened and what's happening between Syria and Ukraine. Like, it, it really just, like, clubs you over the head with it. Like just the same formula, the same mechanics, the same everything. Like they just, they plugged it in, they plugged it out of one place and into another.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, and they, you know, it's similar thing where in both Syria and Ukraine, they exploit divisions. So in Syria you have, you know, Sunni Muslims, especially who are disaffected and, uh, there's a faction called the Muslim brotherhood that's been trying to over, that's been trying to overthrow the government for a very very long time going a very bitter conflict in which a lot of people have died so the us finds a way to exploit that and to turn those divisions into a proxy war and similar to ukraine you know there's two very distinct identities inside ukraine there's the far right nationalists who identify with bandera who who don't want to have any kind of russian character inside their country and then then you have Ukrainians who are also ethnic Russians who identify with Russia. And the U.S. takes one side and exploits that, and here we are.
4: Yep, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, I think Muslim Brotherhood has been, uh, that was the the group that uh, Hafiz Assad was, uh, was destroying with artillery in Hama
0: That's right. uh, back
4: in 86.
0: Yeah. So and, and, yeah. and, and the U.S. has been, the U.S. has known for a long time that if they can support the Muslim Brotherhood, then they can have uh, a regime change war. And uh, that's what happened in, in 2011 and uh, has left the country in ruins. So it's, you know, when you're such a big power, you will always be able to exploit these divisions inside a country. And once that happens, it's very hard to contain it. And uh, the, the impact on the country is always devastating. I think that's the lesson for certainly for Syria and for Ukraine as well. Jonathan, thanks for the call. Yeah, no problem. Oh, sorry, I lost you. Gator, go ahead.
8: Hey, Aaron. Um, I'm just um curious. I think that the Biden um docs are basically the DNC's way of um, capping Biden's ability to uh, um to run for uh, make another run. And I'm sort of anticipating 2024 will be Michelle Obama, AOC as a stand-in for the nearly dead Bernie and um, somebody whose name I've forgotten versus Donald Trump, DeSantis, and Tulsi Gabbard. That's kind of how I see it panning out.
0: Yeah, I've heard people speculate that, you know. Um, Look, anything's possible in the cynical world. And, uh, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it's really interesting, you know. (laughs) I... (laughs) You, you never know. Uh, this really could be an attempt to sabotage Biden. Or uh, it could just be them realizing what happened and now owning up to it. I don't know. Who knows? But I totally understand why people would speculate that at this point, because anything is possible in Washington. Washington's a very cynical place.
8: That's all I've got tonight. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. Thank you. Yeah. And again, I
0: mean, what I know, my only takeaway is that it's funny. That's, that's, that's all I got when it comes to Biden and the documents. Okay. Aaron, go ahead.
5: Uh, holo Aaron. Uh, hola Aaron from, uh, Ciudad de Mexico. I, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, uh, reiterate that, uh, the, uh, that gray zone thing you did with Max and, uh, Matt Taibbi was fantastic. And, uh, uh, it was very. It was sort of comforting in a way because you know <laughs> we we've, we've been so out in the wilderness with the uh, with with our thinking that it's just nice to see you know some of you guys come together and I really appreciate it. And Also, I was just going to mention like the last caller said, you know Matt Taibbi does this thing with Walter Kern and <clears throat> Matt seemed like. Pretty much one hundred percent convinced that that was, you know, like a like the uh, the Don Corleone of the Democratic Party, uh, based in Chicago, was that was basically like him putting a horse head in uh, Joe Biden's bed. <laughs> 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 he didn't just come out and say it, but he said it, it was just such a weird, like the timing was just so off. It it just didn't. Something, something had to be going on. So, uh, right, yeah, you know, uh, maybe that was a little push from uh, from our, our 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 still Godfather up there in Chicago
0: <laughs> and Martha's I, Vineyard. Yeah, I, I totally understand why people uh, expect like that. It's you know, anything is possible, and it, the timing does seem weird. It, it's it's very funny. All
5: right, hey, hey, thanks. I'll let you go. Go Bills.
0: Thank you. Thanks for the call. I took a plane last night. I I I flew I flew uh last night from LA to New York and I I watched uh the, the second half of that Jaguars game with the comeback. That was that was insane. That was one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen. Anyway, that's enough football talk uh for for this call. Okay, Nestor, go ahead.
8: Yeah, hey Aaron, uh, uh hope you're doing good. Um uh man, so yeah, so it's a lot of information, a lot of, you know, uh it comes out vindicates what you've been saying for a long time but you know it, it's it's like can we really expect anything uh tangible to come out of it you know like hunter biden is not going to go to jail you know um mm-hmm. uh, uh, just like george bush no 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 matter how uh revealing it was that they they just blatantly lied about iraq uh you know he's out there painting puppies and and, uh, and having a good old time uh, doing seminars and stuff. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's, it's man, it's just like, I, I remember when I was a kid and when 9-11 happened, <clears throat> like I, I just had this weird intuition that, you know, cause I was in school, I remember being seventh grade, uh, watching the towers get hit and, and all that. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, I, I remember watching military uh, uh, documentaries on how, like, they had you know missile defense systems and uh, air bases that were always on, at the ready to intercept anything and, and any uh, hostile whatever. And, and I remember as a kid, just intuitively, just saying, "Man, the, are these people like they set they set this thing up? Like they they're setting us up for something?" And like since then, I was like, "Oh man, I I, I was born at the wrong time at the wrong place." Uh, and I felt that, and and now that we see all these ties with Al Qaeda, we see, you know, how ISIS was uh, just magically sprung into life. How they knew where to strike, where where to go get more, you know, weapons from Iraq from the military bases that supposedly they had built. Uh, and it all ties so so well together, especially how Saudi Arabia is just, you know, well protected, like. I've never seen. It's so weird how Saudi Arabia is just so, uh, uh like you know, protected by the U.S. Because U.S. like there, there is no, there is nothing militarily holding back the United States from just invading Saudi Arabia and and you know, and conquering it. So there, there has to be something more behind how how and why Saudi Arabia gets away with so much, and it, it probably has to do with the fact that they're. Partners in crime. They've been partners in crime with the United States for so long that they probably have a black book of every operation they've done together, and probably the most damning operation they've done together is probably was nine eleven. So, so Saudi Arabia. Well,
0: okay, you know, listen, Vanessa, I, I do think, I mean I don't, I don't think the U.S. and Saudi Arabia did nine eleven together. I just, I don't, I don't buy that. But I do think that some, obviously, there's some sketchy. Saudi involvement, 9-11, all those officials who were in contact with the hijackers. Obviously, there's something going on there that is being covered up, and then, or at least needs more public disclosure. Um, but um, what I do think is that they have been doing nefarious stuff together. In the 1980s, Saudi Arabia helped finance the dirty war in Afghanistan, the uh, dirty wars in Central America as well, because it's, you know, like that was a way for the U.S. to keep it out of congressional oversight. Is to basically out, ask Saudi Arabia to pay for it, uh, and that, and then you know basically um, pay for a U.S. program, and so that has made U.S. and Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia very close, and it means that the U.S. is not going to really, uh, you know, uh, turn on on Saudi Arabia in any kind of meaningful way, and it's not going to hold them accountable for crimes they commit because the U.S. is involved in those crimes. Uh, and same as Syria too I mean for Syria they just they just dusted off the old the old dirty war playbook from the 80s and used that for Syria where again to finance a CIA dirty war Saudi Arabia paid for a lot of it paid for the weapons uh, paid for the shipments paid to train the fighters uh, in Syria so that that's where I think uh, I I agree with you and um,
8: yeah like you know like and, and having this
0: alliance and and, and having this alliance, you know, the U.S. doesn't care about the oil itself. The U.S. doesn't really need the oil. But if you control the oil, you have a huge leverage over the rest of the world. You can basically dominate the world if you can if you control its main energy source. And also getting everyone to pay for it uh, in U.S. dollars also is a big win for the U.S. So those, to me, are the uh, reasons for the strong side of the U.S. relationship. We are running low on time, so I want to get to everybody. So thank you for the call, Mr. Appreciate it. Okay, armchair. Armchair, are you there? Okay. Going once, going twice. Uh, On to Andrew.
2: Hi, Aaron. Uh, Last time I talked to you about the Trump files and the Mar-a-Lago raid, I asked if you thought that indictments would be following, or sorry, um, some kind of, yeah, indictments and conviction would be coming, and we haven't seen that still. And uh, we both, I think, if I remember correctly, thought they were coming. And I was wondering if this uh, deal with Biden has changed your mind on that at all. If you think that this is going to make it harder or impossible to charge Trump with something now that Biden is essentially caught doing, you know, the same thing, even if it's in a different form somewhat.
0: Uh, I don't remember saying I remember predicting that, but um... it was just a bet. I asked you if you had to bet. Would you think? Uh, okay. That- and okay. we kind
2: of both were leaning towards yes, just because of how extreme the raid was. But yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing happened.
0: Everybody yeah. just forgot about it after like yeah. two weeks. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was that was an error on my part then. Because I, now, if you were to ask me, I don't think it's happening, especially because of this Biden thing. Like, how are you going to charge right. Trump and not, and not Biden? I just think it would look t- 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 too political. Uh, so, yeah, no. Um, I... Uh, If you were to ask me now, if I were to bet bet on Trump getting charged, I would say no. I would say no.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine, even if uh, this didn't happen, it seems... I mean, I was kind of thinking maybe they're waiting with something, but, I mean, there's, like, a bunch of investigations around Trump, so I I don't really know about that. But this Biden thing, to me, it's just just such an irony that Biden has now supplied Trump with a get-out-of-jail-free card, almost literally. You know, I mean, this is... He's he's made it politically impossible for any kind of serious uh, investigation and charges. I don't I don't see how that happens now. And you know, it's like, I don't care about the classified documents either. But it it almost makes me go like, it's just such a classic thing. It's such a Democrat classic thing. You know what I mean? Like hand victory over to the opponent so unintentionally, leaving documents around and then. You know, it, it's I just can't handle the irony. It's kind That's of very insane. funny.
0: Look, it's like you know, it's also like you know what was Trump accused of for his whole presidency? It was like colluding with a, with a foreign actors and to spread dirt on his opponent, right? To win. And mm-hmm. what did the Clinton campaign do? They paid a former British spy to write up a bunch of conspiracy theories about their opponent, and they gave that to the FBI, and then used that to make this all <laughs> scandal. So it's like the, everything, you know, and then. Uh, and then, and then uh, you know, Trump possibly being compromised by foreign money and, and influence, and and then they couldn't find anything really damning, especially when it comes to Russia. But look at Hunter Biden; he's on the board yeah. of a, you know, he's, he gets on the board of a of Burisma as his father is the most influential politician in the country because his government has just launched a coup there. So it's just the ironies abound, and. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Hakeem Jeffries was during Trump's first impeachment trial, he was asked, like, all right, so, like, what's the difference between what you're accusing Trump of, which is pressuring Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden or, or to come up with dirt on Joe Biden and what the Clinton campaign did, which is, you know, uh, getting the Steele dossier and using that to spread dirt about Trump, like fake dirt about Trump and using right. that to sabotage his candidacy and his presidency. And Jeffrey says the difference is that it was purchased. That's what he said. So because so of they, it, they, they paid, paid for, for their lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, anyway, that's uh, that's where we're at. Could
2: I ask one last thing, real quick, yeah. then? Is with the uh, situation going forward, do you think that there's going to be a lot of time wasted now by the Republicans on this nonsense? And we're never going to find out what was even in the documents? Because with the whole Hunter Biden living at the house thing, and some, you know, if we just get these vague descriptions of the documents. Some of them pertain to Ukraine. And, you know, you just went over Hunter Biden was with that business deal in Ukraine. So I could see, I mean, this is all pointing towards, like, it smells like there's smoke here, right? And the Republicans are going to go after it. And I just wonder, is this really going to be ultimately a distraction? We're never going to find anything out in the first place uh, about anything more than we already know about Ukraine and Burisma and Hunter. I, I just worry this is going to become a distraction. Well, you real, never know. It's like FBI
0: investigations into the FBI. You, you never know. The, the, the cool thing about... These investigations is a lot of documents do come out, and right. sometimes you can find some interesting stuff in them, so you know in, in the in the process of investigating, you know uh, the parties have to turn over stuff, and sometimes you you get some great stuff, so for example, in the John Durham investigation he um, said he's had a few prosecutions, and they both ended in acquittals, so Dur- Durham lost, but in the process we found out a lot of really inter- interesting information. Uh, we found That's out true. that Christopher Steele was offered a million dollars by the FBI if he could substantiate any of his dossier, and he <laughs> couldn't. But still, the FBI pretended as if he had corroborated it and used it as a basis to spy on Carter Page and chase leads to investigate this fictional collusion conspiracy between Trump and Russia. And in the Michael Sussman case, the, the, the Clinton lawyer, we learned so much about his uh, relationship with CrowdStrike and the fact that uh, and I haven't written about this yet but I'm going to I just haven't had time mm-hmm. but that crowdstrike you know the Clinton contractor that launched Russiagate by accusing Russia of stealing the emails and of course mm-hmm. later admitted it had no evidence for it which you found out years later but anyway but um that you know during the course in, in those months of in those late months of 2016 like after June when Russia got accused of stealing the emails it took like uh let's see here it took at least three or four months for CrowdStrike even to send over to the FBI images of the server. Yeah, and the FBI which... was like, can you please give this to us? And there's all this stuff, how basically CrowdStrike really delayed and also limited what the FBI could see. And some of that, I mean, I knew some of that already, but but it's been newly substantiated by what came out of the exhibits and assessment trial. So the point is, okay. it's possible that in the process of these big investigations that you know, we'll get some releases and inside them. If, if there's anything in there about Burisma and Ukraine, I bet it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Um, it's, it's room
2: for optimism there a little bit. So that's good. I uh, yeah. appreciate your time, Aaron. Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Thank you. And I have to wrap it here. So armchair, I see you're back, uh, but I couldn't get you before. And now I have to end the call. So I hope you'll call back next time. Uh, I'll be back here again next week Uh, and maybe I'll even do another AM live during the week this week. We'll see if I have time. Uh, Thank you so much everyone for uh, tuning in and calling in. Have a great rest.